Hi guys, I'm excited to tell you about Bad B Words first sponsor, My Dialectical Life. Every day you'll receive a new email focusing on one aspect of dialectical behavior therapy or DBT. I've been receiving these emails and they give you something to practice every day. So if you're interested in DBT, it's definitely worth a look. Go to HTTP. Why did I say that? Oh, no, just go to www.hopeforbpd.com slash my dash dialectical dash life dash DBT dash self-help for more information or to sign up. Now on with the show. Thanks for downloading that B-Word podcast. This is your beautiful bipolar host, Becky, and I hope everyone out there is having a great day and is doing as well as they possibly can be on a day like today. Um, I've not been, excuse me, I've not been quite as good as maybe I feel like I should be. So we're going to skip straight to the interview this week. It is with Samantha, and I think that you guys will really enjoy it. All right, here we go. Hi, I'm here with Samantha. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Becky? Good. I just put on my podcaster voice. <laughs> I can see <laughs> how different it is on on my screen on the waveform. So it kind of is interesting to me. Anyway. Gotta have a good podcasting voice. I know. Get that NPR going. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you are several of the B words. Oh yes, I am. <laughs> uh, which ones apply to you? <laughs> um. Oh, the first one would have been bisexual because I've pretty much known that since I was very young. Mm-hmm. And then in my adulthood, I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and then only about two years later I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder they had said bipolar mixed mm-hmm. um, not exactly sure I've tried doing research on it and it's they talk about mixed being mixed states and not like one of the types of bipolar disorder so it's a little confusing for me but yes bisexual bipolar BPD those are my three B's <laughs> all the good ones Actually, I have four. I'm beautiful. There you go. (laughs) So let's start talking um, about bisexuality, because that's not something we really touch on a whole lot on the podcast. And I'm kind of excited to be able to do that. (laughs) Yeah, I've been wanting to talk about it, too. I never I never really talk about it, which is something that I want to talk about. So here we are. Something you want to talk about how you don't talk about it? Yes. (laughs) It's just weird because like, I remember being very young and being in elementary school really and having preoccupations with girls and boys in my class, you know, Mm -hmm. and I can remember me having those little crushes and it continued and I never really questioned myself for it. When I got a little bit older, there was some point where I was like, okay, how would I define this, but I never thought that it was strange. It never made me feel uncomfortable with myself. I just kind of accepted it as it was. Well, that's kind of great. 
Um, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I'm very lucky. I know yeah, that. <laughs> I don't think that's a lot of people's experience. Um, yeah. So what was your, did you have to come out to your family or have you done that? Uh, yeah, that was actually very recent. Um, because, you know, I had crushes on girls, but I'm also from the South and I knew that it wouldn't be accepted very well if I were to just come out and say it. So I just didn't say it and I was like if I end up dating a woman one day then I'll say it but for now I don't really care Mm -hmm. and people can just get to know me and find out because I'll tell them but I'm not gonna come out to my family because that's just different and I mostly dated men um you know I'm, I'm a very feminine looking woman um so I don't I don't really, I never really got many chances to date women as a, when I was younger in my teens and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up just dating men more. And there were times that I got very close to women and it would almost happen, but it wouldn't work out. So I never really had to come out with it, but I started dating a woman officially and have been with her since about a year and a couple of months ago. And so I just messaged my mom and I was like, Hey, uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I have a girlfriend and she was like, what? And I was like, yeah, I'm seeing a woman. And she was like, so you're gay now? <laughs> and I was like, no mom. And she was like, well, what? I don't understand. I was like, I'm, I'm bisexual mom. And she was like, when, when did this happen? And I was like, I've always known. I just never dated a woman before, but I'm telling you now. And she was like, I don't get it, but okay. And she just never really questioned it. Well, that's nice. Yeah, but she told me not to tell my grandmother. (laughs) And we're around her a lot. Okay. So you haven't told her that? You haven't told your grandmother then? I haven't officially told her, but I bring my partner with me sometimes to family events and introduce her and she talks to them and... We just haven't really said it, but mm-hmm. most of them know. They just don't say anything because it's uncomfortable. But if I were bringing a man, it would be totally different, you know? Yeah. They would open up a lot more and ask questions and want to know about our relationship. But it's like almost like I'm bringing a friend with me to the party. Like, this is my roommate. Like, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is my girlfriend. I'm in love with this person right here. Believe it or not, everybody. It's, it's kind of hard because I would love to see my family more, but it makes me feel a little alienated from them. Mm -hmm. So I, I definitely have it better than some people, but I do still feel that kind of invisible feeling when it comes to being bi. And if you date a man, then, you know, you're straight and there was actually a few men that made comments when I started dating a woman that they thought I was full of shit. Like when I was sitting at the bar saying I'm bisexual and talking to them and was single, they thought it was cool. But (laughs) as soon as I was actually dating a woman, they were like, no, you're lying. That's not real. You're doing it for attention. No, sir. This is, this is real. Like, I'm sorry. (laughs) That's yeah. That's interesting. It's interesting talking to straight men about, female bisexuality (laughs) yes it's um often met with great enthusiasm 
until, you know, until they're not part of the picture anymore. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> if I'm part of it, it's cool. But if I can't watch, then. Right. <laughs> yeah. I-, I found that very offensive. I was really upset, but. Yeah, definitely. Can't, can't do anything about it. It's just. It's really weird to hear that another person that really doesn't know you very well at all pass such judgments on your life and your character, too, because you're basically saying that I'm lying and I'm not. And it's just, what do you know? You're not me. You don't have my life. You don't have my brain and my feelings. Like, you don't know what this is like. So just don't pass judgment on me. Do you find that people are um, find it easier to accept either straight or gay, but bisexual is somewhere in that scary middle ground that yes. people just don't know what to make of it? Definitely. And a lot of asking, like, why you can't just pick a side. <laughs> and that that's a like even my mom said that, but a lot of people have said that I don't I I honestly can't even explain the confusion that they give to me because I don't understand it but that's why I just accept them and I'm like can you just accept me because you don't understand it yeah as much as I don't understand yours but that's just the way it is um yeah I do find like if you're a gay girl and you look gay they understand that and if you're a gay man and you act and look gay. They understand that. But if you're anything in that gray area in the middle of the spectrum, they're so confused because they don't have these exact characteristics of a mm-hmm. stereotype that they can pin on a person and label them to make themselves comfortable knowing exactly what that person is. Like a dude that is homophobic, for instance, being around a guy with his friends that kind of seems like he might be gay but might not like if he's really homophobic he might be scared that that guy's gonna hit on him you know yeah it it seems like a lot of people just really want to have a definite yes or no so they don't have to wonder yeah and i guess that makes sense but that's just not the way the world works so at some point you just have to accept it and be able to be assertive and stand up for what you want but not be a dick about it right yeah (laughs) crazy enough uh people are actually complex individuals with lots of different uh, facets to their personality so that's wild <laughs> why right i'm curious now i when i started going back to therapy a couple years ago um i told my therapist that i was bisexual and she says but you're married to a man oh did you ever get any of that or uh, of course i'm not with that therapist anymore <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be either. Yeah. Lord, she no. didn't really um, understand. Oh, so thankful for my therapist. She's wonderful. <sighs> oh, good. So you never had to deal with any of that? I have had some really bad therapists in the past, but that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> but like being with a man and saying you're bisexual, it didn't really come up very much. Yeah. And when it did, it was usually with people that were more understanding of it. Um, I'm, you know, I live in Louisiana right now and I grew up here and my family's from here, but I lived in Minnesota for like the first half of my twenties. 
And a lot of the people that I was in a college town and it's just, there's a lot more um, progressive kind of independent thinkers. So they, they were more curious than anything, but not like, Oh, you're, but you're dating this dude right here. Cause I was, I was dating a man for three years when I was there and mm-hmm. I know I talked about it at some point cause I've been knowing this for so like forever. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember that ever being a thing, but I could definitely see it being like, especially being married to one. And if you have children and then telling like, and also judgment from other, other women that might think that you're just saying that. I don't know if you've ever experienced that other women that think you're just saying that to like get attention or like look mm-hmm. cool to dudes right yeah there, there's always that um play are you really bisexual or are you just playing it up to get attention from yes. from males so and yeah i think everybody's is so different in men than women like you think about like being a bisexual woman and being able to say it so easily but being a man and having like having to admit that would be really it's own it's 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 weird own brand of queer i just don't know how to explain it (laughs) yeah i think there's a much bigger stigma for men who are bisexual than women which sucks but i actually have a a male friend that is bisexual and he is just so delightful and (laughs) such a nice person and he's not afraid to talk about it at all and people are pretty accepting of him really yeah, he's really great. Most I, I've known a good bit of bisexual men that were really quiet about it and didn't want to say it, but he just does not care. Yeah. He's he's really cool. But anyways, a lot of the my male friends that are bi are um, have problems finding people to date within the community because they are, you know, because they're not gay. Yeah. For some reason, for some reason that matters, and I'm not exactly sure why. <laughs> um, I think it's because they just. I, I'm I'm thinking of like a TV show example that I have in my head mm-hmm. of a situation similar to that, and it was more like the person that was gay was kind of disgusted by the fact that the other person could possibly sleep with women. And I guess they kind of saw it as a threat too. Yeah, that makes sense. But the bisexual man was actually saying it wasn't cheating to be with a woman, but only a man. Well, that's a different story at all. all. And yeah, it was all like really crazy, but I was kind of, that was the first example that popped into my head. I, I have no idea what that would, oh, that sounds rough. Yeah, that's not my point of view although i've heard people say that before um that they didn't think it was cheating if it was of the opposite gender and i'm like um yeah for me it still is <laughs> yeah it would, it would be no matter what for me and i've you know i've dated men that have said that if i was with a woman they wouldn't consider it cheating and i've been with some that said they would so i guess it just depends on the person hmm. yeah interesting so let's uh do you want to move on to bipolar disorder and how you found out that you had that well i think if i were to start that story i'd start with borderline okay it's kind of a mix i mean 
I started having anxiety attacks when I was eight. And then when I was around, they continued here and there. And then when I was 15, I got put on anxiety medicine for the first time. Um, I was very isolated during my teenage years. And then pretty much as soon as I turned 18, I I joined a band and just went and did whatever the hell I wanted. (laughs) And it ended pretty bad. And then I ended up moving out of state where things got better for a while. And I went back to school, but then while I was up there, um, I ended up in a really bad relationship that was, there was abuse in many forms going on. And I ended up being hospitalized because I tried to kill myself. And that was when I was diagnosed borderline. I, stayed in a psychiatric ward for five days. And at the end of it, they left, they uh, let me leave with a sheet of paper that said borderline personality disorder and generalized anxiety disorder. I had kind of suspected that I had borderline personality disorder the whole time because I had picked up the book, um, get me out of here by Rachel Ryland. Oh, I haven't read that one. Yes, it it's a pretty old book, actually, and it's big, and it's it's about a girl with borderline personality disorder, and she's married, and it's just really raw and detailed, and I picked it up because I just loved the cover, and I read it, and as I was reading it, and this was way before I got diagnosed, I was reading it, and I was just like, oh my god, this sounds exactly like me, like all of her thought processes and everything that she did. I was like, finally, I'm reading in a book something Mm -hmm. similar to what I've been going through. And this whole time I've been feeling so alone. It seemed like no one else had the issues that I had with like my emotions being so strong and overwhelming and intense, my anger being really hard to control and how like impulsive I was. Everybody Mm -hmm. thought I was so brave and, you know, animated and charismatic, but really I was just anxious and bored and empty and trying to just make something out of every moment that could be remembered forever. And it was really painful because I would do things that were really bad for me, but it was all because my brain was just like my emotions and my brain were attacking me and I didn't know what it was and what Mm -hmm. was going on. And then I ended up in this really, really bad relationship. I had had wonderful relationships before that for the most part with a few hiccups here and there, but I got into a really bad one and I was away from my family. I was in a whole other state and I had no way to get out. He had completely isolated me and Mm -hmm. he had, it's almost hard to even say out loud all the things he did to me, but I'm still working on getting through that trauma in therapy. Um, I basically tried to kill myself to get away from him. And I ended up in the hospital and they asked me, you know, do you need to stay? And that was when I got diagnosed BPD. Then after that, I ended up coming back home and I started running around using drugs and just doing, you know, I was still trying to get over that horrible relationship and the things that happened, you know, there was restraining orders, there was blood, there was cops, hospitals, just so much. 
that I was trying to get over that I was acting on all my impulses and I just wanted to feel loved. And I got really bad into drinking and started doing drugs. And at some point I was, I was living in someone's, I moved and moved. I was homeless. I, at some point I moved into someone's house and they had me um, sleeping in a bedroom upstairs. And one night I had a massive anxiety attack and it was a Sunday night. No one was home. No one was a, um, around or available. So I just drove myself to the emergency room and checked myself back into the hospital. Cause I didn't know what else to do. I was, mm-hmm. I was going between highs and lows, you know, like drink a bunch and smoke weed and then do cocaine and Xanax and Adderall and just whatever I could get my hands on. So I was up and down. I was all over the place. I wanted to die. I was unhealthy. I kept getting really sick, bronchitis, the flu, just over and over again. Um, and I just kept drinking and drinking and drinking so much whiskey. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up back in the hospital and they had to drug me up cause I was screaming for them to get me out. And that was when I got diagnosed with bipolar disorder and they said bipolar mixed. Mm-hmm. I, I am still unsure of that diagnosis because I never had issues with bigger mood swings, like, like having depression for like a few weeks and then being manic for a few weeks, but being borderline and having all these short little bursts of, you know, emotion and random mood swings for all I know, there is a bigger pattern, you know, that could indicate bipolar disorder, but I can't tell because I'm too caught up in the swing of every minute of my emotions changing. Mm-hmm. But I'm still not sure because the doctor that diagnosed me with bipolar disorder talked to me for maybe 20 minutes at the most. And mm-hmm. that was the only time I spoke with her. And she diagnosed me off of that before I even started treatment. And then you know, they hadn't gotten to know me at all. I just gotten there and I was coming off of a huge cocktail of drugs and alcohol. So right. the symptoms I was explaining to her were come downs off of all these things. And I was like, if anything, this is drug induced mania, depression, mania, depression. This isn't, this isn't how I normally am without anything in my system. So I'm still kind of unsure of that one, but I was officially diagnosed and I'm being treated with mood stabilizers right now. Mm-hmm. Do you find that the mood stabilizers are, are working? Well, the first or that hospital stay when they diagnosed me with bipolar disorder, they put me on a mood stabilizer along with Zoloft, which is my go-to antidepressant, anti-anxiety medicine. It works best for me with the least side effects. And it just kind of helps put the, take the edge off, but I need more. And that's what we have addressed recently for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the, in therapy and everything. So I'm back on mood stabilizers, but the only time before right now that I'd ever tried them was that time I was in the hospital. They put me on a mood stabilizer with Zoloft Mm -hmm. and it, my emotions actually, like I felt level, I felt really good, but then I had a physical allergic reaction to the medication. Oh yeah. And my face just like turned red and I couldn't stop scratching my eyes and like, my cheeks and I was starting to turn raw and my eyelashes were falling out and they were like, okay, 
don't take it anymore. And I never followed up to get put on anything else because I just thought that the diagnosis was bullshit. Uh Right. Yeah, that's not uncommon. (laughs) Although, (laughs) especially when you have BPD as well, it's the outward symptoms are so similar sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's sometimes I think it's difficult for providers to tell the difference. For sure. Yeah. And they're treated so differently. Yeah. Yeah. So differently. Have you ever done any um, work for the borderline, like with DBT or anything like that? I started doing that independently mm-hmm. and it, it's helpful. It's helpful for me in forming the habits Mm-hmm. And then once I form them and I kind of get used to doing them, I don't really need the guidance anymore, but I I have done work with DBT and I, I find it to be very helpful if you can look past it seeming obvious because that was always <laughs> my problem with it. I'd read it and I'd be like, this is so obvious though. It doesn't work. No, <laughs> it does work. You just have to actually do it instead right. of saying it doesn't work and not doing it. Right. And it's not going to fix it forever. It's just, it's basically learning to live moment to moment and stop worrying about it being all fixed one day. Who Like, you don't need fixing. This is part of who you are. Mm-hmm. Learn to live with it and just be in the moment and understand what's going on in your brain. And you can have some kind of control over it. You just have to do the work. But... You know, I was doing DBT and I was back on Zoloft and it still wasn't enough. And so that's why I just recently got put back on mood stabilizers so Mm -hmm. that I could try to even it all out. And it seems to be working so far on top of I can't sleep at night. Mm -hmm. And they put me on a new sleep medication, Remeron. Oh, I was taking that for a while. Did you like Mm -hmm. it? Um, Is it it made me eat a lot? Oh, it makes you very hungry. In fact, I've been eating a lot. Yeah. My, uh, oh, there's my dog. Um, uh, my dad actually, when he was going through chemotherapy, he, they put him on Reberon so that he would eat. And I guess that's, um, it's one of the off label, you know, uses for it to get people to eat. Well, what a good way to segue into one of my next greatest fears is eating because I am in recovery for anorexia and a medicine that makes you want to eat sounds like an absolute nightmare to me. Yeah. I did not know that that was a symptom and I really, really hope I didn't know that that was a symptom and I'm taking it to help me sleep. Mm -hmm. It does that very well too. Yeah, that's that's the main reason I'm taking it, because every night it's a three hour toss and turn in the dark until I finally fall asleep and then I sleep like crap. So and this has been my whole life, too. I just can't sleep at night. I can sleep during the day. If I fall asleep, like right when the sun comes up, I can sleep all day. But <laughs> when it when it, if it's 10 o'clock at night and you tell me it's time to go to sleep in my head, it, the party just started because I'm so used to always being up at night. <laughs> Right. And I can't make my brain shut off at 10 o'clock. So um, they, I've tried so many things like every over the counter or not. Yeah. Every medicine that you can get like um, melatonin, mm-hmm. all the PMs, Advil PM, NyQuil, ZQuil, 
Um, I've done Benadryl. I've done Trazodone. Trazodone used to help, but it doesn't help anymore. So they put me on Remeron for sleep. Yeah. But I really hope it doesn't make me eat too much because I don't want to gain weight again. Oh. Yeah. How long have you been in recovery for eating disorder? Um, it's been about three years, which is a long time for me. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I go back and forth between binge eating disorder and complete starvation and anorexia. I've, I got close to 200 pounds at one point, but I also got down to 90 pounds at another point. So mm-hmm. my poor body is just all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine that the, that can be healthy to make such a big swing in weight. Was that over a short period of time? Yes, uh-huh. M- many different times. Like I, It kind of started when I was around 12 or 13. And I got really skinny when I was around 14. And then I got, I got pretty big in the middle of high school. And then I got really skinny at the end of high school. And right when I got out and got into college and then I gained weight again and then I did it. it, And just every like, but whenever I would lose the weight, it was quick. I would gain this weight over a year and then stop eating. And in three months I would be way too skinny and everyone would be asking me what's wrong. And it got to the point where one of the two of the times that I starved myself, I ended up being very, very sick and almost got hospitalized and ended up eating enough to not have to be. Mm -hmm. And then I would slowly start to creep back up and wait. And then it would happen all over again. I would just look in the mirror and be like, Nope, this is unacceptable. And I would just stop eating. And And also, um, my anorexia is like a friend in the bad times. That's when it's the worst. If everything in my life has gone to shit and I feel stuck, that's the thing I always turn to. Mm -hmm. Even if I already think I look okay, like even if I'm not really thinking about it, which most of the time I'm every time I look in the mirror, it's this or that, my hair, my skin, my, my, you know, my weight it's always something that I just look at and I'm like, Oh God, I just wish that were different every day, every time I look in the mirror. But Mm -hmm. if everything else is going bad, that's the one thing I can control, you know, and it's almost like a cry for help. I, I actually, you know, think that that's part of the borderline personality disorder is that addiction and, you know, the suicidal ideation and the suicidal threats and thoughts. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's a slow suicide and it's a cry for help, but at the same time, it's a high and it's about power and controlling something while everyone else is just miserable mm-hmm. or making you miserable and everything is going wrong. You know, at least you lost a pound. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really eloquent way to put it. I've read that it's that eating disorders are, you know, really about controlling your yourself and um, your environment in any small way that you can. So, well, also being, um, I mean, I I'm guarantee you can attest to having just kind of incessant thoughts. Like, do you have racing thoughts at all? Because of oh yes, yeah. Because okay. From well, that's part of the bipolar and 
borderline, I believe. Yeah. And, you know, I, I have that so bad and it's like a, you know, and then the anxiety will come out because of it, because you have so many things going on through your head. Mm -hmm. My eating disorder gave me something to focus on and obsess over that was always there. I could always have access to because it was mine. Mm -hmm. And it was, yeah, it was bad for me, but it was something that I knew how to do and I could do it well. And (laughs) I, you know, if, if everything was too much, I would just focus on that. It gave me something to keep me going a little while longer because I wanted to get certain results, but it wasn't even really about that. It was just about like, I can't think about all this other stuff because I'm not going to be okay if I do. So I'm just going to think about this. So you consider that a form of self-harm then? Anorexia? Yes. 100%. Hmm. Definitely. It, I mean, you are, I mean, if you're sitting on the floor and you're so hungry that it hurts and you can't even stand up, but you still won't eat, Mm -hmm. it's a form of self-harm in some way. I mean, eventually it turns into the point where you can't eat and you have to slowly introduce food back into your diet, but it's like, as it progresses, you are doing it to yourself and it might be, a sickness, but so is depression and people that kill themselves. That's still sickness. Like you're still doing it. You're still harming yourself. It's still self-harm, even if you don't intentionally mean to do it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I've, I've never thought about that way that uh, self-harm could be un- unintentional. I'm not to say it's not intentional, but the self-harm aspect is unintentional. I mean, at it, the end of the day, I don't, I don't think anyone really wants to hurt themselves, but it's just a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When emotions get overwhelming and it's just too much, you know, whether you cut yourself to feel something different, it's still you focusing on something else. Right. You know, and it, it gives you a high for a minute so that you don't have to think about all this other shit and you're replacing that pain with a physical pain that can be explained and that people even yourself could look at and go, Oh, I'm hurt, but you can't look at a mental illness physically and see it and be like, Oh, they're hurt. You know, it just, Mm -hmm. it's just a transfer from emotional to physical to try to make it better for a minute, but it, it's not long lasting. And that's why it's so dangerous because it doesn't really solve anything. Right. It's the, the law of diminishing returns. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, um, you were mentioning how people, um, can't see your disorder, right. Unless for, unless, Wolfening disorder, they could see that you're very skinny, but yeah. Um, but for like borderline and bipolar, they really can't see that. Do you do you think that the? I'm not sure where I'm trying to go with this. So, do you think that the eating disorder then is an attempt to get somebody to notice that you're not well, or is, I think is it simply it was. <laughs> Or was it simply just uh, the aspect of control? I think it was just both. And mm-hmm. it depends on the situation. There were times that 
it was for me mostly and for me to have something to focus on because I was hurting, but there have been times where it was a cry for help Mm -hmm. and it, it, it just depends on the situation. Yeah. It's such a complicated thing to have. And I mean, they all are complicated, but it's relating it with the other things, you know, relating it with BPD and things that you can't see it, it does make it more visible and you do want to hide it just like with self harm. You want to hide it. You don't want to show everybody, but at the same time, you're kind of hoping in the back of your mind that someone will be like, Samantha, are you okay? Something's not right. So you can just be like, I'm not okay. Someone finally noticed. No, I'm not okay. I'm not. And you know, it's just like a last push to try to save yourself, Mm -hmm. but you're hurting yourself. It's, it's really strange. It's a very strange thing to live with. I still feel it creep up on me. Like whenever I start to feel hopeless or like, things get bad, which doesn't happen too often anymore. I'll think to myself, you know, you could, you could only have 600 calories tomorrow. And I'm like, no, that's no, I have to fight myself on that. And I recently quit drinking and I lost about 15 to 20 pounds just because I quit drinking and started eating a little healthier, but I I don't exercise. (laughs) I don't do anything. I'm so lazy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, stop drinking. Really, uh, it's amazing what it'll do for your body once you quit. (laughs) Oh, it is amazing. I was drinking every single day, four months ago, every day I was drunk at least half of the time. Like, and I quit and I lost weight. My skin got better. I feel better. I don't even want it at all anymore. I miss the feeling it brings sometimes, but I don't miss drinking it. And when I smell it, I don't want it. Yeah. So, um, I hope that lasts forever because I'd really love to not ever have it again, but I'm not going to put that pressure on myself. Right. Right. But I I lost that weight though. And of course, like as soon as my family members saw me again, like, what are you doing? (laughs) You lost weight. You look too skinny. And I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm really not too skinny. But to them, like if I lose weight, I'm too skinny. It doesn't matter if I'm still at a healthy weight. They're like, what are you doing? Because they've seen me look so sick before, like just skeletal and they I guess that they just have that knee-jerk reaction if I lose weight they're like well are you eating (laughs) right yeah (laughs) do you feel like they were as worried when you were bigger when you were in your binge phase oh no no yeah not at all that's I yeah I find that too it's a I don't really understand why Putting on, you know, 60 pounds in six months or however is any less concerning than taking that same (laughs) amount of weight off that fast or faster. I Uh, completely agree. But. Yeah, that's definitely a thing. And, you know, being Southern, families love to cook Mm. big, you know, hearty meals and. My family doesn't really eat vegetables, so they think it's strange that I eat salad and (laughs) they don't, you know, they don't like those kinds of foods because they weren't brought up on them. And I wasn't either, but I, you know, having an eating disorder, I sat myself down and forced myself to like salad. I forced myself to like Diet Coke. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I like I made myself. I was like, no, there are other foods I can eat that have half of what this stuff has. And no, they don't taste as good, but I'm going to make them taste as good. And now <laughs> I prefer healthier foods over those. So I tell my family when they're like, you know, oh, how do you lose weight? I'm like, you have to eat stuff you don't like until you like it. It sucks, but it's <laughs> what you have to do. I know you don't want to, but eat some lettuce. (laughs) But yeah, when I was bigger, it was never a concern. But as soon as I lose weight, you're too skinny. You need to Mm -hmm. eat. Yeah. That's interesting. Because if somebody were to put it together that, you know, the weight gain preceded the, you know, the anorexia, then you'd think that that would be... Uh, you know, you get help faster that way. Yeah. Or at least somebody would notice faster that way. Yeah. Well, they, that, that's the one thing that they do know, notice though. Like I don't talk to my family about being borderline or bipolar or depressed. Mm-hmm. I talk about my anxiety because, oh no, now my alarm's going off. I talked to them about anxiety <laughs> because everybody goes through anxiety at some point, you know, so they can at least kind of understand that. But we don't talk about borderline bipolar and all that in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, but the anorexia, they don't say it, but my mom hints at it and says, you know, makes the comments, you're looking a little skinny. So it, it's a, it's definitely a more visible illness and. Right it gets more attention, but that, that's not what I need attention for. The attention is I had a hard childhood and I'm still trying to bounce back from it and learn how to cope with my emotions and learning how to deal with, uh, this is hard to say, learning how to deal with not having a family that shows affection. So basically growing up, not really knowing if anyone really loved me, except that I was alive. Like the fact that I was alive and that I was kept fed and with a roof over my head and went to good schools. But other than that, it was just shut out like an aggression. Mm -hmm. I had all my physical needs met, but my emotional needs were not met. And they, you know, still to this day, I'm suffering because of that, but that's what trauma therapy is for and (laughs) DBT and all that. So I'm working on it, but it's just strange being around my, being around the reasons that you are the way you are. And they didn't really mean to do it. You know, they didn't mean to, but they also don't understand it. So you can't explain it. And it's just strange. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can relate to some of that. <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, BPD is from childhood, you know. Right. Yeah. That's. An, uh, I always thought that was strange. Now, it seems like some people can have traumatic childhoods and not end up with the BPD, but sometimes there you go. Yeah, it's like my therapist explained it to me one day. She was sitting in the office with me, and she said, "If right now." a tree fell through this window and landed between us. There is no predetermined measurement of how traumatized either of us should or shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. You could be so traumatized that you can't even get near a tree anymore, sit in my office while I could just brush it off and walk away. It, there is no, you know, there is no 
measure or set amount of intensity that an experience has to have in order for it to be traumatizing. Everyone's different. You can, I mean, if something traumatizes you, it traumatizes you. And some people are, their brains just work to where that things don't traumatize them and they are able to just go with the flow, feel the emotions and move on. But some people just get caught in it. It's like getting caught in a feedback loop. You know, you just don't know how to escape it ever. Yeah. Well, on that happy note, (laughs) is there anything else you wanted to talk about or? Oh, that was pretty much it. Just, um, really wanted to touch on the eating disorder and bisexuality. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you did because those are two topics that I haven't had a lot of, um, guests that struggle with. So. And all I want is like I had when I read that one book about BPD, I want somebody that just might feel lost or misunderstood or doesn't understand for themselves what they're going through. Maybe someone will hear and be able to relate to a piece of it and be able to find themselves, you know, help and Mm -hmm. a way to get better and have hope. That's all I really want. So thank you. Oh, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. All right, guys, thanks so much for tuning in and listening today. Uh, you can, as always, you can reach me at thatbword.com or you can email me at Becky at thatbword.com. You can find me on Facebook and on Twitter. And my Twitter is at thatbword1. And we are also now on Patreon. So if you'd like to uh, catch up with us there and see what we have to offer, you can go to patreon.com slash thatbword. Thanks so much again, guys. Uh, I hope everybody has a, a truly great week. Bye.